0: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place
1: to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas. At VeritasRadio.com I'm your host, Mel Fabregas And I sincerely thank you For joining me once again And if this is your first time Or your truth journey brought you here Welcome home And to listen to tonight's interview Right now, just go to VeritasRadio.com Click on the subscribe button And you can choose from many subscription types You want 3 months, 6 months, 9 months A year, 2 years whatever works for you. But it's now time that you give yourself the gift of truth. And tonight's special guest is a veteran of this radio show, our good friend Max Egan. Right now on Veritas. Max Egan is a radio talk show host, researcher, artist, musician, philosopher, free thinker, champion for the truth and a true Renaissance man. Max is the man behind the website the Crowhouse.com, which is filled with great information for those seeking the truth and Veritas listeners know and certainly they are seeking the truth and directly from the land down under I'm really really privileged to welcome our friend and brother in truth Max Egan. Hello Max and welcome back to Veritas. How are you?
0: I'm good, Mel. Thanks for you very much for having me on again, brother. It's always a pleasure to come and talk to you.
1: Oh, it's always a privilege and a pleasure to have you on. You know, I follow your travels. I, I know that recently you were, some, somehow, under the weather. I, are you better now?
0: Oh, look, I'm I'm getting better. I'm about thirty percent of what I should be. Uh, I've just uh, I'm recovering from meningitis, which is a very very <sighs> serious illness. Uh, put me in bed for ten days. Uh, just dropped me like a stone and uh, nearly died, actually, Mel. So uh, I'm lucky to be here talking to you.
1: Absolutely,
0: I, I am recovering. I'm getting, I'm getting better every day. Every day is like a one or two percent improvement. So it's, it's good.
1: And I, I, I can feel <laughs> what it feels because a few years ago I was telling this to you offline. I uh, was having headaches for days. I couldn't see the light. Went to the doctor and they said you have a sinus infection. And I said sinus infection, but I don't have any congestion. Well, went back home. Two days later, I was, my fever was so high, it was delirious. I was probably having a, a, a... It was incredible. So went to the emergency room and another doctor said to me, it seems like you have meningitis. We may have to do a spinal tap on you, which I refused. So they made me sign a release because they said you can actually die when you go home. Obviously, it was viral meningitis. I presume that's what you had too.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was very bad, very bad.
1: You know, the reason why I mention this is because we have Ebola now. We'll discuss this whole Ebola thing with so much misdiagnosis in the United States. Shouldn't the World Health Organization call that a pandemic too? Is a misdiagnosis of medical, you know, practice a huge pandemic too?
0: Well, yeah, it is. It really is. I mean, but they call anything a pandemic, Mel. Remember a couple of years ago with the swine flu, there were oh, twenty yeah. cases. 20 cases, cases, and the World Health Organization called a level six pandemic. Level six, that's right. You know, I mean, 20 people. I mean, you wouldn't, wouldn't, I mean, malaria is more of a pandemic than, uh, than Ebola or anything. I mean, malaria is all over the globe. Why don't we call a pandemic on that? I mean, it, it's ridiculous, really, the way they, they, they do these things, you know?
1: You know, with the swine flu, I remember, as you said, uh, just a few cases around the world. In the United States alone, that year alone, the year before, thousands of people died of the regular flu. Why was why wasn't the WHO putting a pandemic level for that and 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 stopping the borders, people, tourists coming here? I remember how Mexico was affected by that whole shebang.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's all about fear porn. Mel, is what it's really about. That's that's what a lot of this Ebola scare is. I think it's just fear, fear, fear. Put the fear in the people get them expecting uh, an outbreak of some terrible disease. I think it's very interesting that the American CDC actually owns the patent on Ebola. I mean, what's that doing there? You know, so you've you got to wonder about this. And, and you know, that we're hearing of thousands of people dying from Ebola. I haven't seen one picture of one body that's been bled out. I haven't seen any of this stuff. I've, I know people all around the world, and um, they're saying that they're not seeing any of it where they are. So I wonder about the whole thing, how much of it's it's just fabricated, you know.
1: You know, part of my circle of friends, uh, Max, are medical doctors. So I told two of them last weekend the other day that the CDC owns the patent to one of the strains of the Ebola virus. So they asked me, okay, Mr. Conspiracy Theorist, are you saying the CDC created the virus? And I said, no, but why would they own the patent to it if they did not? That made them think, Max.
0: Exactly. That's what I said on my show last week. I said, um, am I suggesting that they created it? No, but the patent is suggesting that they did. Otherwise, why does the patent exist? I mean, where did this thing come from? What's its purpose? You know, isn't- Obviously, someone patented a virus. You know, it's, it's, They're telling us. I mean, it's right there for, for all to see. You know? And I'm not, like you say, so I'm not saying they created it, but the patent says they did.
1: Well, isn't that telling us that it is a bioweapon? Of course.
0: It is a bioweapon. And, you know, whether it's as dangerous as they say it is, I mean, I don't know. The, the amount of quarantine and locking down they're doing, like this nurse they've locked up for 21 days for the incubation period, she's going to sue the US government for being locked up for 21 days. Anybody who's got a sniffle, anybody who's got a cough, they're just quarantining whole aircrafts of people. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the world's sort of gone mad in the last six months. Have you noticed? It's it's uh, out of control with ISIS. I mean, there's so much going on now. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, I really think the uh, the powers that believe they be are running scared, and they're just bringing everything that they can out of the box and, and throwing it all at us to try to keep us locked down.
1: My wife and and daughter, about a month and a half or two ago, we came back from being out of town, out of the country, and I think we just drank the water somewhere else, and we got sick, and we we, we displayed all the symptoms of Ebola on the plane, and days later is when the whole Ebola thing started. If we had arrived a few days later, we'd probably be quarantined still right now, but you just came back from uh, your journey throughout uh, Europe, I believe. You say you were mainly... An observer during this trip, what did you observe? What did you find different this time?
0: Well, I was just really interested in looking at the programming with people and and hearing what they were discussing about and it's really interesting the programming through europe you know i mean europe is a is an amazing place because it's such a small community really I mean I come from australia and and all of europe is is half the size of australia so when I travel across Europe, I don't really feel like I'm traveling anywhere. I'm kind of just just driving from one town to the next in Australia, you know, in these same circumstances. So it's really interesting seeing uh, the level of programming in each particular country and the differences in each particular country. There's a massive amount of fear in Europe, and mainly of their governments. Everybody's in, in, in fear of their governments. And there's this huge um uh, anti-Islam uh, program that's just running everywhere which is uh, quite shocking, really. I mean, as a result of ISIS and all this sort of stuff. And if you look at ISIS, I mean, ISIS, this is a a Western-controlled operation, absolutely. It's got nothing to do with Islamism. It's a Western-controlled operation which is designed to uh, create World War III, turn the world against uh, the Muslim world. And again, of course, once we've exterminated the Muslim world, then of course, it will turn to the Christian world and it'll get rid of them as well. So it's really interesting seeing how this is playing out through Europe. And just the level of programming that they have, I was amazed in Germany. Actually, the programming in Germany, the, uh, the the guilt of the German people is is so uh, ingrained into their psyche that you can't even suggest to them that they may, you know, they should maybe uh, look at things a little differently. You, you cannot tell them that they're not guilty. They they uh, have to be guilty. They they you know they they it's it's who they are. It's their whole personality. It's their whole culture. It's absolutely amazing to see. Uh, I think the people in Germany have been brutalized, actually, and um, it was amazing. It was really interesting to just sort of step back and just sort of be in conversations but not really be part of the conversation. just sort of listen to what everybody else is talking about and just sort of see where they're going and, and where their consciousness is, you know. And uh, a lot of the world's unfortunately still asleep. I mean, there are pockets of resistance. There are pockets of uh, wakefulness all, all around the place. But even those who are awake, in inverted commas, many of them are, are only half awake. You know, many of them are still looking for the way out. They can't see that the way out lies with them. You know, it's a personal thing. We can all do it, but we all have to participate. Everyone's waiting for someone to come along and, and present the silver bullet to them, you know. So that's that's interesting.
1: One of the reasons why i love to have you on, Max, is because I don't have to fear what I'm going to say. You know, I, I, I don't like to censor. Sometimes I have tact in what I'm saying to the guests because... Uh, they may not be on board with certain topics, but so with you, I can just open the door and and get everything out without any any fear of repercussion. But speaking of ISIS or ISIL or whatever you want to call it these days, just like Monsanto changed the name of NutraSweet to Alminasweet to hoodwink people, did they, they quote unquote they changed the name Al Qaeda to ISIS?
0: Well, it's the same group of people. I mean, really, you know, Al Qaeda was a Western fabrication, the whole the whole lot of it all, all the way. And when you look at ISIS, I mean, these are the rebels that they used to overthrow Libya and they went over and they destabilized Syria and now they're rampaging through Iraq. I mean uh, the American and, and uh, Israeli interests want to go in and bomb the hell out of these countries, and, and they've been getting a massive backlash from their population to do it. So right on cue, we have these, uh, these ISIL or ISIS uh, militants suddenly arrive. And you look at the, uh, the head of ISIS, al-Baghdadi, he's already been uh, pointed out as being a Jewish Mossad agent by uh, a French report, and is also the Chechen, uh, the Chechen president has just named him as a CIA asset. So, I mean, this is uh, – when, when you look at ISIL, what they're doing, they're, they're rampaging across all of these countries that the West wants to go in and bomb, and they're killing everybody. They're, they're, not, they're saying these guys are Islamic extremists, but they're not. They're just extremists, Islamic only in name because they do not represent Islam at all. They're killing uh, Islamic people, they're killing Muslims, they're killing Christians, they're killing Jews, they're killing everybody. And they're doing everything against what it is to be a Muslim. They're, they're disobeying the Quran in as many ways as they possibly can. So why these people would be named as Muslim extremists, it's, it's ridiculous. They're not Muslim extremists at all, they're just extremists. When you really look at it, it's, it's a group that's been put together by someone who hates Muslims, because the, the whole operation is designed to vilify Muslims and create a war against the Muslim world.
1: Oh, I'm losing your audio, Max. How about, can you hear me now? Now I can yeah. hear you. Listen, I I know where this conversation is going, and I expect some of the electronic disturbances that may happen throughout the conversation. Go ahead, please. Yeah, you get that, don't you? It's funny
0: that. But... um. Um, What you get with this, I mean, there is a Christian group, of course, isn't there, called Blackwater, which changed their name to Z, run by a fundamental Christian extremist called Eric Prince. I would suggest that uh, this is the man behind a lot of the ISIS stuff. I'd say that most of ISIS are Mossad, Blackwater, Z, CIA. uh, You can see pictures of these guys. You see pictures of the uh, um, Israeli police Uh, arresting youths in the West Bank and they look, they got black balaclavas, they got Palestinian cloths around their neck, they look exactly like the ISIS fighters. Amazing that. There's also a photograph I've got of an ISIS fighter on the back of a truck who has a US Army tattoo on his arm. You know, these guys are blackwater mercs. These guys are groups of people who hate Muslims. And, of course, once you start a group like this and you start rampaging across the country, it's really easy to bring extremists in and all these sorts of disgruntled people are going to want to join. And so it ends up being this hodgepodge of extremists and this and that. I mean, there's always going to be religious extremists that come in and do the wrong thing. They're going to just want to – they've got all this this animosity in them, all this hatred, all this fire. They want to go in and do something. So they join these groups. But it's where does the group come from you've got to look at. What what purpose does this group serve? It doesn't serve Islam in any way. What it does is it serves Western interests. Therefore, it's a Western-run group. Of course it is. I mean, someone tell me how this benefits Islam. How this does anything to Islam, Islamic State, I mean, what is this? Why, if, if this is an Islamic State, why are they killing so many Muslims? Why are they doing everything they can against the Quran? Why are they, they destroying the name of Islam right around the world and turning the whole world against Islam? What are they, yeah, This group of rebels seriously think they can take on the United States, the most powerful military in the world. Of course they don't. It's a joke. It's, it's all been cooked up to whip up Western fervor and and whip up Western sentiment and anti-Islamic sentiment. And if you really look at it, I mean, I think uh, Israel's got uh, a big hand in all of this because if you look at the plan, it's always been to destroy the Muslim world and then to turn around and destroy the Christian world. That's what it's all about. And uh, I think that uh, we we really need to look at Israel in in this whole situation to see where this is coming from. And it came on right on cue as Israel was actually imploding because of its actions into Gaza. Right on cue comes ISIS, and all of the attention is suddenly diverted to this terrible terrorist organization, which is a, a radical Islamist organization that we must destroy because it is such a threat to Israel, and yet it seems to attack everybody except Israel.
1: What's going on there? You know, I, years ago, I visited Granada in the south, uh, southern part of Spain, and uh, I was close to the the Palace of Alhambra, and walking the streets with the tour guide, I noticed there were mosques, churches, and synagogues right next to each other. And I said, hmm. wait a second, this doesn't make sense. And I said to, to her, the people at one point in time practiced their religion freely like this? Oh, Yeah. Years ago, people used to, you know, when the Moors used to be around here, they would practice their religion and they would live, you know, right next to each other in harmony. And that's during the Moors, the Moors time in southern Spain. But speaking of ISIS, and we're not blowing smoke here, folks, you can go to isishq.com. Months ago, somebody sent me this this, uh, uh, website. It's Integrated Systems Improvement Services, Inc., and what do they do? They provide international security and intelligence services. Their acronym mm-hmm. of ISIS. And they're right here, 45 minutes away from me in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, right next to a big, big army base. So sometimes they say the criminal heights right in front of the people. Somebody shoots somebody and instead of running, he states right there so that he knows nobody will find him. But what are the chances that this Blackwater-like company called ISIS is different than the real ISIS that's out there doing all these acts.
0: Well, exactly. You know, exactly. I mean, the whole thing is a Western-run operation. It's it's very obvious that it's a Western-run operation. You know, in all of these situations, you've got to ask yourself, who benefits from this situation? How, how would the Muslims benefit from yep. this? Yeah, we Bono, who benefits from this? How and, and somebody point out to me, how the Muslim community, or, or even if they wanted to create an Islamic state, how it can benefit from the actions of ISIS. I mean, you've got, okay, this, this group of terrible terrorists running around, cutting off people's heads and doing all these things, but look, seriously, do you really seriously think these people can take over the world? Of course they can't. They're guys on horseback and car with light weapons. You know, they might have a few uh, RPGs and stuff that the United States supplies them. But, I mean, you're talking about major superpowers a, against these people. There's no way they can, they can win. All their purpose is, is to destabilize the Middle East and pave the way for Western intervention. That's what it's all about. And the West has a track record of doing this. Whenever we want to go in somewhere, we go in and we create a terrorist organization there, and then we've got to go in and bomb them. The same as what we did in Afghanistan, the same as what happened in Iraq, the same as what's going on everywhere. So people really have to look at this and ask, who benefits What would this ultimately lead to? And what it will ultimately lead to is the destruction of the Muslim world. So who wants the Muslim world destroyed? Israel. Okay? That's who wants it all done. So that's who's behind all of this. And when you look at the Greater Israel Project, I mean, listen to my friend Ken O'Keefe. Anybody out there, go to Ken O'Keefe's website and have a listen to some of the things he tells you about the Greater Israel Project. This man's been on the case for a long time. He's a dear friend of mine. I trust him implicitly. He's got a heart of gold. And he tells you all about the Greater Israel Project. And it's a real project, and it is going on. And that's who's behind all of this. It's obvious that that's who's behind all of this. And the war rhetoric that we're seeing from all of our nations now, I mean, Canada's becoming warlike. Australia's becoming warlike. Everybody wants to jump on board and go and kill ISIS, you know. It's it's a joke, and it's just fear porn. It's just getting all of our countries involved in this conflict between East and West, That's what it's all about. And all this war rhetoric they're they're doing with Russia now. I mean, Russia bailed the United States out 12 months ago. And now they're putting sanctions on them. I mean, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And Putin's been saying the same thing for the last 10 years. And no one's been listening to him. And he's getting a little frustrated now. And uh, you know, I think the—I don't think they're going to get away with it. Mel. I think the world has to stand up and pay attention. I think many, many people are now. People are realising that this just isn't isn't on. Our, our governments are not telling us the truth. They're not doing the right thing. They're not doing the right thing by their people. They're not doing the right thing by their countries. You know, we have we have rogue governments. All Western governments have have gone rogue, and that's the, the sad fact of the matter. Most especially in this country. I mean, what's going on here in the last? Uh, couple of years since Tony Abbott took took the reins has been absolutely shocking. I mean this man's an an imbecile and uh, he's a very dangerous imbecile. But I mean it's the same everywhere. Look what's going on in Canada. I mean it's the same everywhere. The the whole Western world I think is uh it's beginning to implode because the leaders are getting scared they're realizing that the people are waking up to the fact that they're being scammed. So they're just bringing out everything that they can to try to kickstart World War III, to try to kickstart the fear, get people as involved as they can in, in hating everybody else. And that's, that's about the only defense they've got left, I think.
1: I think if anybody really wants to know why this is all happening and why is Israel doing all of this, all you have to do is go back to the work of Theodore Hersel. And go back and look at his book, Der Judenstad, from 1896, and the whole plan, what they wanted from that moment, and what the ultimate goal is. So This is not fiction, folks. And again, for anybody to say, oh, Mel, you and Max are anti-Semites, I, I will not apologize anymore for talking about this. This has nothing to do with being anti-Semitic. This is about being anti-Zionist. And let me ask you a question, Max, that I think the mainstream media, not surprisingly, doesn't ask anybody. If ISIS is marching and beheading, beheading all over the place in the Middle East, how come they haven't posed a threat to their biggest enemy, Israel? What is, exactly. is, what is Israel doing right that is shielding them from
0: ISIS? Exactly. That's what I keep saying to people. I mean, these guys are stormtrooping across the Middle East and doing all of this bad stuff. They're going into Muslim countries and killing Muslims, and yet they're supposed to be a Muslim movement. Israel's right next door. Israel's right there next to Jordan. It's right there. Why haven't they marched into Israel? Because they're run by Israel. That's why. I mean, it's so obvious, and it should be obvious. And, and even the word anti-Semitic, I mean, this is a Zionist invention. I recommend that people go and watch a film called Defamation, actually. It's a film uh, made by a Jewish scholar who wanted to know what anti-Semitism was because he he was an Israeli and he'd never experienced anti-Semitism. And he made a film called Defamation, which is literally shows- Is that the one with, shows, with Abe,
1: Abe Foxman and all those people?
0: Yeah, and it literally shows how the Israeli people are programmed to believe that the world hates them, okay, which immediately puts them on the defensive. I mean, everything Israel does is defensive, but it, it attacks everybody around it in self-defense, it claims. The victim mentality yeah. throughout. The victim mentality, and it gets programmed into these people right from the word go. And it's very important that people go and look at that and see this the, the mentality of these people. But, yeah, look, th- these organizations, they're a threat to, to Israel, they're a threat to everything, and yet they attack everybody but Israel. And that should be very telling to people. And, look, I, I've um, done talks about this sort of stuff recently, and I've actually had Jewish people come up to me after my talks and thank me for speaking the truth about Israel because, uh, one guy said to me, "Look, I'm a Semitic Jew. My family lived there in peace for thousands of years with the Muslims until the uh, Europeans came down and destroyed the whole place and turned it into a country and started making war against their neighbours. And the whole term anti-Semitism is is a Zionist invention. And the the Semites, are Middle Eastern people, Palestinians are Semites. Jesus was a Palestinian. You know, he was a, he was a, a, a Palestinian from Galilee." These are Semitic races. All of the Middle Eastern races are Semitic races. And Israel is a race of, of white people from Europe who attacks all the Semitic races around them and, and calls them anti-Semitic. It's ridiculous. I mean, the people who run Israel, most of them aren't actually Semites, you know. There's about 8% of the of the population of Israel, the Jewish population of Israel, are Semites. The rest of them are Western Europeans. And the rest of them, the main population in Israel, are actually Palestinians. And they're the Semites, and they're the Semites. Exactly. So it's it's ridiculous. And there will never be peace in the region until Israel acknowledges Palestine's right to exist. See, everything they say is backwards. They say that they, they have to keep attacking Palestine because Palestine won't acknowledge Israel's right to exist. But it's Israel that won't acknowledge Palestine's right to exist. And the parameters that they give them, for, for Palestinians to recognize Israel's right to exist, and they have to recognize Israel's right to have stolen their country and dispossessed them of their homeland, that's, that's a big order. That's, that's a tall order to ask anyone to acknowledge. You know, but the problem is that Israel existed there for thousands of years within Palestine. It was always the holy land of Israel, and they lived in peace. They babysitted each other's kids as recently as 1946. You know, and then the Europeans came and it's created this whole mess, which has turned into what we're seeing now. The whole destabilization of the Middle East, this whole war in Iraq through Syria, Libya, the whole thing, has been part of the Greater Israel Project.
1: It has been the whole time. We give Israel about $3 billion every year in aid, mm-hmm. military aid and so on. I really wonder, Max, if they'd really want peace. Because if they ever had peace and they're two states living in harmony with each other, they know we won't be sending them that, that much money. But their Israel's defense budget is around $15 billion. Where's, yeah, the, where's, uh, where's the rest coming from?
0: You know, Israel doesn't want peace. It, it does not want peace. It never has wanted peace. It wants the Arab races gone. That's what it wants. And it's going to continue uh, manufacturing these these uh, Islamic threats until it's wiped out all of these races. And all of these Islamic threats have been manufactured by Israel. Even even the radicalization of Islam that happened was, was due to um, what happened in Afghanistan with the war with the Mujahideen and, and the whole war with Russia. This was all because of the West. They brought in these books and they taught them that the the Russians were attacking their faith and they radicalized certain sections of Islam through there. The first books on radical Islam were printed in the United States. So the whole thing's been introduced, you know, and it's a scam. The whole thing's a scam. Really, when you look at it, if if you want to get religious about things, I mean, uh, Islam and Christianity are very, very close together. These people should be allies, if anything. And it's it's Judaism which is a supremacist system which has caused all of the problems, you know. And you know, and I don't agree with any religion. I'm I'm just not religiously minded. But you you've got to look at this and see how it's all being manipulated. You've got to ask yourself qui bono in all of these situations. You've got to ask yourself who benefits, and you've got to step back and look at the the whole thing on the global stage. People are too concentrating on little factions, and they don't think they're related, but they all are. The whole world is related that's something i really noticed through traveling it's like it's one big family the world is not that big at all it's it's one big global village really just people the same everywhere they might look a little different they might speak different languages but it's all one big family really we're all just brothers and sisters and we're being horribly manipulated by psychopaths in, in control of this world and You know, we need to pay attention to it, Mel. We've got to we've got to start respecting each other so we can stand up and do something about this. I mean ultimately it's gotta come down to that. It's gotta come down to the people standing up and and fixing the problem. The governments aren't going to do it. And and if we could respect each other enough to simply stand up and say, Hey, we see you now. We see what you're doing and we're not gonna do it anymore then they, they wouldn't have a choice. They'd have to stop, you know, but you need you need a huge groundswell of, uh, of public to do this, you know. This is why people have to respect each other. This is what I've been trying to um, show to people in, in my talks is, is what they really are, what you really are, and, and, and how beautiful you are, all of you, you know, and, and why it's so easy to respect other people, why it's so easy to um, fix this problem if we really step back and, and just, you know, took five and just, just took a deep breath and, and realized who we are and just respected each other. The whole world could change, you know. But everyone wants the, the golden bullet. Everyone wants the silver bullet. Everyone wants the master key that's going to get us out of this problem. Everyone wants the new system. Now, give me the new system that we can step out of and step into this new system. But they don't realize that if we haven't changed our heart space, we don't start acting in respect and really know who we are, then we're just going to end up back where we are. And if we start out operating from those parameters and really know who we are and, and operate from respect, then we don't need to create a new system. The new system will create itself around our new moral understandings around our new consciousness, you know. That's the way we have to do it, but it's got to start with us. It's got to start at home, and we have to all be prepared to step into our role and act and get out out there and get involved in our societies, you know. You
1: know, I always say that the biggest conspiracy of all is the secret to our own potential. I think the biggest problem is that most people are always expecting someone else to get things done. Sometimes it's not because they're lazy, but because they don't think they're capable if they only knew, most people who are listening to us, if you only knew that most change in the world started with the action of one. Look, look at Gandhi. Did he strike you as a very strong and powerful person? No, but his actions were. We're all born with the same possibility of greatness. We just need to blow the smoke that's in front of our faces.
0: Exactly. You know, that's the problem. People um, think that great people do great things. They don't realize that they're capable of doing great things. You know, anything that's ever happened on this planet, even this control group, ultimately came about because of the idea of one person had this idea and other people went along with the idea. You, know, you can all have ideas. We just don't believe we're capable of them. We all believe we're little people. You know, I'm just a little person and one person can't do anything. They don't realize that all change ultimately came from the mind of one person and that we're all born with, you know, infinite potential and we're all born with an equal amount of potential. You know, we might have physical handicaps. We're, well, we're not born equal in that respect. And, you know, people aren't born equal because they do have different physical things which may prevent them from being equal. But mentally, we are. We are equal. We are all capable of having that idea, that one idea if we only believe in ourselves. It isn't that great deeds are done by great people. It's just that little people don't believe that they are capable of great things, but they are.
1: Absolutely, and you know, I was looking at at, uh, at our forum today, and somebody poses something interesting. I've heard about this before, but not to this extent. Of so many of our representatives, senators, and government officials, and I don't mean to be bashing Israel, all you know, throughout the show, but the dual citizenship that they all have. Do you find it interesting that if you're an elected politician that you represent not only the United States, but another country, shouldn't that be against the law?
0: Well, it is, I believe. It is against the law, but they do it anyway. And, and what people need to understand is that they, they have, a, a higher, have a higher allegiance. If, if they're a senator in your country and they're also dual citizenship with Israel, they have a higher allegiance their is to Israel. There's actually been uh, one uh, senator, I think, from Colorado or someone, I might have that wrong, but there was a senator recently speaking out saying we need to um, remove all, uh, all, all Jewish uh, influence from our, from our uh, political system. The people in our political systems need to be Americans. They, we do not want anyone with dual citizenship in control of our governments, in control of our banking system, in control of anything to do with our country. When it needs to be Americans. And that's true. It does. Because it's the dual citizenship that has allowed a lot of this to happen. And you know, people say, oh, you're anti Semitic. You're speaking out against the Jews. Well, I'm not. I'm just, I mean, you look at these organizations and they're all Jews. What do you say? Does that anti Semitic just admitting the truth that all of these positions, in really high up positions in the banking systems, in the government systems, they're all Jews? What are they doing there? You know, if they're supporting America, then, then why are they dual citizens? You know, you've really got to look at this. I mean, this is, uh, this is a hugely uh, hugely controversial issue, and it's a hugely important issue. But there's been a lot. Um, I mean, the, the relationships are breaking down a bit. Um, the, you know, the relationship between the United States and Israel is, is breaking down because of these latest incursions. I mean, Israel really overstepped the mark with what it just did in Gaza. And uh, Gaza is still suffering from that. I was actually supposed to be in Gaza right now, but uh, circumstances prevented me from being there. Quite amazing, really, the synchronicity in my life, just to shift topics a little bit, because I was supposed to go into Gaza on the uh, the 15th. I was supposed to enter Gaza Strip. I actually came down with meningitis on the 14th and was prevented from leaving. Um, Had I arrived there, I mean, I would have arrived there with meningitis, which would have been terrible, but um, a week ago, a few days ago, there was an attack on the, the Sinai and 33 people were killed at the uh, Alarish checkpoint and um, uh, President uh, al-Sisi has, um, has blamed Hamas, which of course it wasn't Hamas, there's no way it was Hamas, and he's locked down the Sinai, put it on curfew, uh, locked it down as a state of emergency for three months and closed rough border indefinitely. <laughs> So had I gone to to Gaza, I'd be stuck in there indefinitely. The borders have now been closed indefinitely. Right when these people need aid, they need foreign aid to get there. It's imperative that I oh, gets to Gaza Strip after what they've just been through. But all of these circumstances just happened to lock down Gaza Strip, and uh, spirit sort of kept me out of there. I mean, meningitis is a hell of a way to do it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing how my life works in that way. The synchronicity that prevented me from from going there. It's already. I mean, the ticket's paid for. I've got the ticket there on hold someone sponsored my trip over there and i've got the ticket all there ready to go i can fly to cairo tomorrow if i want to and i've got a return flight to cairo to be able to get there but i can't get across the sinai and even if i do get across the sinai i can't get through rougher border
1: is it because of the military dictatorship in egypt now yeah
0: yeah el sisi he's uh he's a he's a bit of a case he's uh done a lot of damage to the whole area he's done a lot of damage to the sinai region a lot of damage to the rougher area Uprooted lots of trees, killed lots of people, destroyed lots of homes, uh, closed the border. So it's quite amazing, really. But, but Gaza is the one that suffers through all of this, and it, it's it's really sad. I mean, I've been trying to get into Gaza for the last oh, three, four months, and it's just becoming almost impossible.
1: Let me just say that this conversation we're having about what you said about Colorado, even if, if for example, all these representatives and senators and, and high government officials, even if they were dual citizens of Saudi Arabia or Norway or Austria or what have you, I would say the same thing. You should renounce to that citizenship if you want to be an elected official here, because otherwise you're always going to be putting another country before us. You know, look at this. 7% of the U.S. Congress, uh, 29 representatives, that's 7% of the U.S. Congress, 12 senators, that's 12% of the Senate. And, uh, you know, these numbers may sound low to many people, but all it takes is one vote to push legislation either way. And then a plethora of high-ranking government officials, 44 of them, Kissinger, Wolfowitz, uh, Michael Chertoff, and many others. And look, if you're a Muslim... And Saudi Arabia or any other Muslim, again, it would be the same. And isn't this the same also? Don't we have a law here that people are not allowed to be knighted? No titles. That's part of our constitution. Isn't it more or less the same?
0: Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you've got people even being knighted. I mean, you've got Mayor Giuliani. Was that's knighted right. By the, by the what are people knighted for? You know, for service to the British Empire. So he was knighted after 9-11 for service to the British Empire. What does that tell people? What, because he acted like such a hero in saving people? Who did he save? What did he, what did he do that was so heroic on, on 9-11 that would have, have granted him a knighthood? You know, you really got to look at this. You know, Who, who's the, the crown? Who's the British crown? Well, it's this, this same Hebrew line that goes way back to Egypt. You know, it's, it's all connected to the European royal family. It's the same people. It's all the same people. You know, so it's this one oligarch that, that runs the planet. And people need to pay attention to those sorts of things. But yeah, any dual citizen in any country should not be sitting on any board of directors for anything to do with government or banking or anything like that. I mean, you can't have senators that have national, you know, have a different nationality, belong to a different country or dual citizenship. Where does their allegiance lie? How do you know that their allegiance doesn't lie with their other country more than your country? You know, and would would Israel allow our uh, people with dual citizenship to go in there and become senators in their country? You know, of course they wouldn't. Would any country allow this? Of course not. Why does America allow it? That's the question. People need to step back and look at this. And is this being anti-Semitic? Well, no, it's not. You've just got to look at what's going on in the United States. Look at the amount of wars you guys are involved in, and the amount of instability that's happened around the globe because of uh, America's involvement with Israel. And it shows. It's just right there for all to see. And I think it's all coming to the fore now. People are not afraid to talk about this anymore. You know, people who who weren't speaking out about it now are are seeing that there's a need to do so. That's why these uh, senators are speaking out saying, look, we need to get rid of these dual citizens. People are starting to smell the coffee and they're starting to smell that there's a rat in the room, you know. And it's going to change. I think it's, it, it has to change. I don't think they're going to succeed in what they're doing. They're really, really pushing. They're really trying to kickstart World War Three, and they're really trying to kickstart, you know, locking down everyone to, to a large degree there. I mean, a lot of people are buying into it. There's a huge amount of Muslim hatred in this country, but uh, I still don't think they're going to win. I think it's all going to implode. It's just going to fall apart because there's too many people that are waking up because of their actions. You know, more and more people are waking up. The more they lock people down, the more people wake up, and that's the way it's going to be.
1: Well, the the reason why I bring this up is uh, the titles and the knighting and all that is because a lot of the people that I mentioned are not even Jewish, but they have been granted israeli citizenship and you wonder why so that's why i brought uh, i was looking for the constitution and i found that we have article 1 section 9 clause 8 of the u.s constitution not only forbids the united states from granting titles of nobility but restricts members of the government from receiving gifts from the foreign states without the consent of the u.s congress they can't accept titles of any kind what whatever from any king prince or foreign state isn't this, again, similar to being granted citizenship to another country? You want citizenship to another country? Fine, but quit politics and open your seat to someone who is not.
0: Exactly, exactly. That That's what they need. You know, you, you can't belong to, uh, you can't be a foreign national. You can't have foreign nationals sitting in your government because you don't know where their allegiances lie. I mean, that's pretty damn simple. And, and people need to wake up and smell the coffee.
1: You mentioned a global lockdown. Is this what we're seeing more and more people are waking up. That's why we see the, the rise of the police state to the extreme we're seeing at Mike's Max.
0: Well, yeah, and there's many ways to go about this global lockdown. I mean, you look at the Ebola scare, and you know, people are becoming scared to travel. They're becoming scared to leave their own country, you know, and this is all part of it, you know. I mean, I, I don't buy into the whole Ebola scam, but, you know, if you... Leave the country. Well, if you get a cold while you're away, there's a good chance you're going to come back and spend a couple of months in quarantine at the airport, you know? So people are not really wanting to travel because they don't want to go through that sort of stuff. Plus, a lot of them are just scared they're going to get Ebola. So there's various ways of locking down communities. And this is, uh, this is one of the mechanisms that they're using.
1: I hear many people, and by the way, I, I believe in having, you know, restricted borders in the United States, and, you know, we, we, we issue a lot of our visas to people, and we should do it legally. At the same time, I hear people saying, we need to block the border. We need to erect walls all over the border. People don't know that, just like we try to prevent people from coming in, having those, do we remember Berlin? Do we remember the wall? Are people not thinking that we can actually be uh, prevented from leaving our own country in case of emergency?
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's it's about all this stuff. People are asking for their own slavery, you know, because they, you know, they want us to uh, – they want the government to protect us, you know. But it's all theater. It's all theater for the masses, you know. And, you know, I mean, ultimately, I mean, a world without borders would be so much better, but it's not going to happen while we've got this uh, this economic model, while we've got all of our, our countries sort of set up as corporations, that's not going to happen. That's what it's really all about, the whole corporate system. That, that's what they're, uh, they're, they're making here. That's what they're turning the world into, one big global corporation. But, yeah, all of these uh, things that are put there to protect us uh, actually are actually just part of the prison. That's all it is. And you don't want a wall around your country. You don't want your borders that secure. What you want is an honest government, and there wouldn't be problems. You know, if you had an honest government that, that – worked with the honest government in the country next door, you wouldn't have people crossing your borders, would you? Because everything would be above board, everything would be normal, everybody would be looked after and well off, you know, if you had a little bit of honesty in government. I often say that all the problems that we face in the world today are due to legislation that's put in place by government, doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter whether it's border crossings, doesn't matter whether it's war, pollution, homelessness, any of it, there's legislation which allows these situations to happen. And that happens because the people of the country don't believe the. They have any power to control their government but they do but they only have that power if they unite as one people which only happens if they respect themselves and respect the people around them so that's why it always comes back to that for me you know we're getting to the stage where we're being forced to step into our power we have to because otherwise we're going to lose this this planet we're going to be lost in a path of, of war and destruction that's just going to keep going until we choose to stand up and say enough is enough you know, we've got to have respect, Mel. We, we, we won't do it unless we have a strong community. You know, a strong communal response can stop any government action, any legislation, anything they want to do. If you've got a strong, empowered community that, that's strong, eloquent, respectful, nonviolent, you don't need violence. All you need is the strength of numbers. All you need is to stand up and not back down. Don't allow yourself to be bamboozled by, by rhetoric you know, And just speak your mind and stand in your truth and they have nowhere to go. They'll back down because if they don't back down, they expose themselves as the psychopaths that they are. And psychopaths, they're like cockroaches, mate. You shine a light on them and they run into the darkness. They run away and hide. So you know, we just need to shine that light on them in, in, the, in the right way but we need the strength of community to do it properly. And really, you don't need to have a, a lot of people standing behind you. All you need is someone who can stand up eloquently and say this and so that the, the community hears it. And, and they go, oh, yeah, what he said, that that's right. And therefore, the problem is the media. I mean, the media is is as complicit as anybody in all these war crimes that are going on. It's It's how to get this message onto the mainstream into a place where the vast majority of people can hear it. Because when you get out there and you actually start speaking the truth, it resonates with people, and they start thinking a little differently, and they start looking between the lines a little bit. It's just getting that platform to be able to get the message out to them. It's a difficult part.
1: Well, I don't think there's – before, maybe we saw a line of demarcation between the media and the government. But right now, I really don't see a difference. To me, it's just the the propaganda machine. It's the mediaopoly. They're all – we know who owns the media, and we know who – I mean, just uh, – I hate to bring this up again, but I'm glad I'm speaking with Max Egan. The Federal Reserve, same thing. They control the money. They cannot. Uh, you see people saying, oh, we need to to um, audit the Fed. No, we don't need to audit the Fed. There's nothing that's going to be accomplished out of that. So you audit the Fed, so you go home and nothing happens. We need to abolish the Fed. They are the <laughs> ones who control the money. They are the ones who control the government. They are the ones who are in control of the world, in my opinion. Exactly. The banking
0: system is the catalyst. The banking system, the money is the glue that holds the whole system together. The money system is the head of the snake and that is absolutely what needs to be addressed. You know, we've got to stop the private issuance of currency. That is the root cause of the whole problem. And this economic model, you know, based on permanent growth and the private issuance of currency, which puts everybody in a state of permanent debt, I mean, permanent debt, I mean, this, this situation can only result in rendering this planet into a state where it's it's incapable of supporting human life. You know, if we're going to continue supporting a a model based on permanent economic growth, then we will eventually turn every single resource on this planet into rubbish. Because that's all we do. We harvest resources from the earth, we turn it into stuff that breaks quickly so we can make it again, and we put it on a rubbish tip. So basically, we're turning the whole world into a rubbish tip in order to support an economic model based on permanent growth. This system is designed to dispossess humankind and destroy this planet's ability to support human life. That's its only purpose. So we've got to look at where it's going and where it comes from. And we've really got to uh, pause and take stock of this. Why are we supporting a system which is so intent on discarding humanity? We'll allow people to become homeless and go out on the street and starve because they haven't balanced the books. I mean, this is ridiculous. We really need to look at this situation. You know, the economic model is is fiction. It's just numbers on a screen. It's not real. And humanity is the one that's suffering because of this economic model. We live in a planet of abundance. This is a, a beautiful planet that could support far more people than it's got but the reason we're having uh, people in states of hardship and we're having so much homelessness and starvation is simply and purely because of the economic model. So we absolutely have to address that. It's the head of the snake. It's the most important uh, problem that we face on the planet.
1: And believe me, I prefer prefer conscious capitalism before I go to communism, but that word conscious is the the important one. But how to, exactly, how does a permanent... Growth the system, be sustainable when we live on a planet with limited resources. And, and here we are. We always ridicule the indigenous people, the aboriginals. But they were here thousands of years before, living in harmony with the planet. Don't we need to learn from them and apply those lessons?
0: Oh, absolutely, man, we do. I mean, we could, we could have societies that, that work. We could have, uh, you know, societies that look kind of like what we've got with these cities and the, these infrastructure we've got, but we could have it so that it actually works, it's beneficial, it lasts. We can make cars to last. We could make cars that don't pollute. You know, we could do everything differently if we weren't so intent on supporting a model based on permanent growth. You can't have permanent growth. It's, it's ridiculous, and people are so concerned about the state of the economy and I just say, look, the economy is fiction. I don't give a damn about the economy. Forget the economy. You know, but everything's, we're taught that the economy is everything. Everything has an economic value. Even time is money. Everything is about money. That's what it's all about. That's what uh, wealth is. It's having money. You know, to me, wealth is health. Wealth is the, the, the quality of your relationships with people, the quality of the environment that you live in and, and the health of, of you and your friends and your family, your mental health and your physical health. This is wealth. You know, money, it's not wealth. That's just stuff that that's put there to provide a barrier between you and the abundance of the Earth. You can't have that which is right there in front of you, which grows for free. You need to collect this paper in order to go and buy it off someone. It's a joke, you know. We've got to stop supporting this economic system. We've got to start supporting humanity. Looking at things from a human perspective rather than an economic perspective. Stop putting an economic value on everything because it's fiction. But it's really interesting. It's a really interesting program, you know. Once you start. Um, introducing economics over the minds of people and start introducing them to a system of, of trading using coins and money and stuff. It, it's it's a really interesting program and it's very difficult to get people to break out of this program. It's, it's a, an amazing thing. I've been told that it's based on Kabbalistic principles. I'd like to look into it a little bit further because it's almost like a... It's like a mental parasite or something. It's like a, a program that gets into your mind. I mean, you, you've got all these villages, these tribal villages that never seen money before and get along fine, Trade. and then the West comes along and introduces a, a trading system, and suddenly they don't know how to live without it. So what happened? What happened to shift that mind space? Why can't they go back to the way they were once money has been introduced? It's a very, very interesting, uh, interesting thing to look at.
1: You know, I spoke to a medical doctor the other day on my other radio program, and uh, Dr. J.E. Williams. And he spent time with a Peruvian indigenous tribe in the Andes. He spent uh, years with them. He eventually became a shaman by the tribe. So now he's bringing back all that knowledge to, to his practice and to his, his uh, you know, city and so on. But at one point he took the, the Peruvian shaman from the mountains for the first time to the city of Lima. For the first time he made it to the city. The the things that he learned, he was walking everybody was stopping and and you know trying to see this man coming from the mountains. But he said, I don't understand why people drive. We have legs. I'm in my 50s or 60s and if I have to travel 9 miles, I have my legs. And I don't understand all these buildings. People live vertically and not horizontally with with uh, with the planet. So I thought that was pretty powerful. Also, I just came back from the Yucatan Peninsula a few months ago and driving towards a a Mayan city. And a lot of the tourists were making comments saying, look, you know, poor, poor people, look at them, they don't have anything. But I said to them, look at their faces. They're all smiling. They don't need more than what they have. Do you have a smile on your face just like they do? That puts things in perspective, Max.
0: Oh, it does. It does. You know, they're, they're very, very real, very real people. All, all of the tribal people that you meet in those cultures are very real. And they can't understand what happened to us, where we went wrong, why we do the things that we do. It's even like uh, the, uh, have you heard of Wotiko, the book? Uh, oh, yes. The, uh, the, uh, the, the I interviewed him. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that, even that's an interesting concept, you know, the concept of this this parasite that makes us do things that we know are bad for us, but we do them anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you meet these cultures, and they're, they're beautiful people, and they're happy. They've got virtually nothing, but they're happy. And they will always invite you in to their houses and share what little they have with you. It's the same in the Middle East. You can't walk into a house, into an Arab house, without them bringing out a tray of food. They feed their guests. And, and if you're, you're when I was in Gaza, walking down the street in Palestine, I'd stop and talk to a shopkeeper. And if I was talking to him for longer than 30 seconds, he'd be waving for someone inside to bring out a tray of food and a tray of tea, and he'd bring yep. out chairs, and we'd sit down on the sidewalk, and we'd have a little powwow, and we'd, have, we'd share bread together, and we'd share tea together. And this is every single person that you meet. You know, very, very courteous, very polite people, and it's the same with these shaman traditions. it's the same with these, these tribal cultures. Everywhere you go, they always invite you in to share with you. They're always very interested in what you have to say, and they're always very interested in your opinion of them, and they're always very fascinated in why the hell the West does what we do. Like, what happened to you guys? How did you get so disconnected? You know, it's a, it's an amazing experience. Really, I recommend everybody go down and meet some of these uh, these cultures. They're they're amazing cultures. I, I love South America. I it's a it's a wonderful place. Unfortunately, we're destroying it the way we have everywhere else, but uh, it's, it's still got a lot lot going for it. There's a lot of um, family traditions and things there in the third world this is why they're shifting the wealth around the planet at the moment actually because they've disconnected the western world so much look we've lost a lot of our family traditions and our family connections you know we get our, mm-hmm. our old folks we put them in old folks home you go to the arab world they, the, the reverence they have for their elderly people is incredible they, they honor these people they, they dote on their elderly people it's the shame in the shamanistic cultures they literally dote on these people they respect them so much and they still have very, very strong family values. But in the West, we're taught that no no, you throw your kids out of home, as soon as they're old enough to work, they gotta make their own way in the world, become debt slaves like you are. When the old when your folks are too much in the way, you put them in an old folks' home, get rid of them. It's all about you and your stuff and the material possessions that you've gained and the little empire that you've created for yourself because I am my stuff. You know, that's what's kind of Western mentality. And so what they do is they now that they've got the Western world so dependent upon this lifestyle and so programmed and you can reduce the western world now to the state of the first world i mean the first world you can re- reduce it to the state of the fourth world and these people will go and work the mines and go fight the wars and do whatever you want them to do because they firmly believe the economic model's real and they have to collect this paper to support their family and they won't support their other family members they'll get discarded by their family members if they're not a, a good worker or whatever the parents will kick their son out or whatever you know there's none of this this family um, um, respect and and community that we we used to have that is still in the third world. So what they do now is they shift all the wealth into the third world and start giving them iPhones and computers and laptops and all the stuff that we've got. And over a couple of generations, that will disconnect these family units and then they've got them locked into the economic model as well. And that's what they're doing. So that's why when you go to places like Peru, they've got TVs everywhere and it's all about all the flashy stuff that the West has got. And all these people want it. They think, oh, gee, this is pretty good, but they don't see the price that we've paid for it, which is the loss of ourselves, the loss of our consciousness, the loss of our connection to the earth, the loss of our family units, the loss of who we are, the loss of our humanity is what we've paid for all this stuff. And they don't see that. They only see what the television tells them. So they gradually shift it into the third world, and they shift the wealth all around the planet, and that's how they dispossess people, and that's what they're in the process of doing in, uh, in South America at the moment.
1: I think this is all a manufactured belief, uh, Max. I remember in the mid-90s, I spent time in in, uh, Southeast Asia, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, and so on. And at one point, I decided to go to Indonesia. And people said, you be very careful. That's a Muslim country. You're not used to that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, It's kind of dangerous. And I decided to go anyway. So I went there, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, people were so nice to me. And I learned a lesson when I was in Indonesia. They said to me, you in the West say, treat people the way you want to be treated. Here we say, treat others the way they want to be treated. So learn more about me. Sit down, have a cup of tea. Let's learn from each other. So this manufactured belief, and again, let me pick now on the Bible Belt in the United States. And I know I have a lot of listeners from that area. No offense to you, but you defend so much all these eternal wars that we have. Why is that, Max? Why is that the Christian, the Christian extreme here in the United States has to support all of this all the time? If Jew, you know, uh, Jews don't even. Uh, acknowledge the existence of the, Jesus being the Messiah. Why do the Christians have to support Israel so much? Well, because it says in the Bible that you know
0: Israel is God's chosen people and it's God's chosen land, and we all must support Israel. It's it's part of the program, you know. And and really, that the Christians are, are just being used as cannon fodder. I mean, that's that's what Israel is using to to fight all their wars for them to destroy the Muslim world. And then, like I said, once they've destroyed the Muslim world, then they'll do it with the Christians. I mean, they're doing it already economically. Look what they're doing to America. Look at the state of the Western world now, all of our countries. There's there's so much hardship going on in all of our countries economically. And most of this is because of the Fed and the Reserve and the money system and all the stuff, which is all run by Israel. So there's different ways of doing things, You know, different ways of doing it in different countries. But the Christians support Israel so much because it says so in the book. It says that you have to support Israel. Of course, the book was written by the Hebrews, so it's kind of a program that was written for them. You know, the, the, the Bible, the Christian Bible, is actually taught as a history book in Israel. When you go to school in Israel, they teach you the Christian Bible as a history book because it's the only place in the world where Jewish history actually exists. It's the only book you can find any type of Jewish history because there is no Jewish history because there is no actual Jewish race. A Jewish race is an invention. You can uh, look at a book called The Invention of the Jewish People by Jewish scholar Shlomo Sand who, who outlines it perfectly. that There is no Jewish race. It's a religion okay it, the whole concept of it being a race has been created specifically to you know create the situation that we've got now you know so um you've really got to look at this so, but the christians will continue to support it because it says so in the book and many of them are, are so brainwashed that they just uh, they just go along with it i mean a lot of the christians i mean these aren't christians anyway there's very few real christians in the world who actually follow the teachings of christ and it's the same in israel as well i mean there's there's very few uh Jews who actually um, believe in Judaism, there's very few Jews who actually believe in God, and yet they do believe God gave them Israel, which is an interesting concept. But uh, you know the Christians, I don't know, they're just being led down the garden path, but again, I think a lot of it is because of the uh, the influence in your in your political systems, in your education systems. I mean there's a huge Israeli influence in America. that controls all of what the people are fed, controls the media, controls the the mindset of the people. And I think that's a lot of it. I think if people really knew the truth about what Israel was, about how it was founded, about what its goals are, about what it's actually done to the Palestinian people, I don't think that uh, the Christians would support it at all. You know, it's just a program that they're running, Mel.
1: I understand that the internet is there for a reason. I don't think they really suspected that it would wake people up the way it is. Because, you know, misinformation and disinformation could be very prevalent on the internet. At the same time, do you think the internet is the last bastion of truth for us?
0: In many ways, it is. It's our saving grace at the moment. It's, uh, we really, really need it to stay open because there are people out there that are speaking the truth. There's certainly a lot of disinformation on the internet, but there are people that are speaking the truth as well. And when people hear the truth, it resonates with them. I think that's that's the important thing. There's, there's certain wild cards. I mean, they thought that uh, it would work to control people. But there's certain things they can't predict that that just happen. Like me, they can't predict someone like me is just going to come out and say what I say without any fear of repercussion. They can't predict someone like Ken O'Keefe going to do what he does. They can't predict you know, people like you are going to do what you do. There's just wild cards that come out that they can't control. And they can't control what we say. And very often, you know, unless we push the envelope and start calling for the death of someone or, or start calling for civil war or something like that. I mean, I've never called for anyone's assassination. I've never called for any wars. I've never called for anything like that. If I did, they could probably get me for something. But with what I've said now and all the things that I do say and all the things that you say, you're kind of treading that knife edge. You're walking that line and you're speaking the truth and you're saying things that are very, very in your face, but you're not really um, threatening them. So they can't really arrest you for anything. And if they get you for what you're saying now, then you're going to go to court and you're going to stand up in front of the nation and you're going to prove everything you've said to be true. So it's the last thing they want. And that's why I get away with what I do, I think, because I tread that line. And if they want to charge me with something, hey, I'm fine. Let's go to court because I can prove everything that I say. And that's the last thing they want. That would scare the hell out of them. And again, if they were to just shut me down, then it's going to attract attention to people. That's why I maybe infect people with things like meningitis and just let them die quietly mm-hmm. on their own. And I really wonder where that came from, that meningitis. I mean, the timing of it as well was incredible because um, I actually postponed my trip to Gaza for a completely unrelated reason because I was concerned about security crossing the Sinai. I only postponed it for one week. And had I not postponed it for one week, I would have been on a plane that day and I would have been melting down with meningitis as I arrived in Gaza. Mm. So I would have taken meningitis to Gaza. I would have had no treatment there for it. I probably would have died in Gaza, given the whole place meningitis, and that would have been the end of Max Egan. And and for me to get that disease just as I'm supposed to leave and for me to have canceled or or postponed completely um, intuitively for a completely different, unrelated reason, I don't know, maybe I'm just... uh, reading too much into things, but I'm really sus on that whole thing.
1: You always wonder. I got meningitis years ago after, you know, a couple of days after leaving on a plane, and then uh, years later, I got pericarditis. I, you know, I could have died as well. So you never know. So I'm glad that whatever happened, happened the way you did, because you, you might be able to go back to, to Gaza and do what you have to do. But in the past, we probably would have been considered as subversive, because we right. we don't toy the party line, but now with all these new laws, they can change it around and say, "No, you are a a uh, what do you call it? Uh, an enemy combatant living in the United States or, or Australia."
0: Yeah, yeah, they can. That's the thing. They're changing the laws so much, so you've got to really, really be careful what you're saying now. And and uh, but but you know, still, if you're just speaking the truth and speaking from your heart, and and I mean, I'm a pacifist. I'm a humanitarian. Everything I do is about humanity. I don't want to overthrow the government. I just want accountability in government. I just want some honesty. And if they're not being honest, I'm prepared to tell them that they're not being honest. I'm prepared to say it to their face. I'm not scared of these people. I won't pull any punches. I won't support a government that's involved in organized crime. And I can prove they are involved in organized crime. Just look at the, the bloody war in Iraq. Look at everything that they're doing. Look at Syria. Look at everything that this government has done. Yeah, I mean, you can just look at it and call a spade a spade. And there's not much they can do about it. It's when you start calling for revolution or when you start calling for assassinations or you start calling for all this sort of stuff, which I don't want. I don't want any of that. I just want honesty and accountability. I want to just be able to look at this, this person, which is just another man. Tony Abbott, he's just a man. He's no better than me. He's no more important than me. He's not even special. He's just a man with a suit who's put himself into a high position. And he's a sociopathic little liar, and I have no problem telling him that. So if they want to charge me for what I say, hey, let's boogie. I'm quite happy to say everything that I say as publicly as possible, and let's see if you can prove me wrong. That's my attitude towards them all. I will not back down to these people. You know, I think I'm, I'm here for a purpose. I think we all are. We're here to gain our strength. We're here to suddenly realize who we are. This is the time the human race woke up to itself and stood up and made a difference. And I think that everybody here who is awake or even partially awake or even interested in this information, this is what you're here to do. You're here to stand strong, stand tall, stand in love and stand in respect and stand up for your brothers and sisters around the planet because we're all in this together. And all of the problems that we're facing in the world all come from Western governments. And the Western governments do this because Western people are so apathetic they won't stand up and do something about it because they don't understand their own power. And that's all you have to do is understand your own power. You don't need any violence all you need to do is to stand up and and say enough is enough and and make a difference be prepared to make a difference you know be prepared to be who you are that's what this time in history is and that's what people need to do just stand strong stand tall and stand proud in, in what you are stand proud in the art of your own life
1: those are great words and your power comes from within and not from someone with a title or a white robe or an expert and we have to take our one and only break but you know max some people say Let's work hard to leave a better planet for our children. To that I say, no, let's work on leaving better humans for our planet. And when you see a planet like this, a living being that it is, and the damage those in quote-unquote control are doing, I don't see any difference between a metastatic cancer and the current system. But we're going to discuss so much more. I want to discuss open, direct, open, open open-source Democracy with you when we come back, and the manufactured belief and reality that we all live in. But once again, how do people learn more about uh, your work? Also, you have uh, uh, what is the, the the circle, the new project that you're working on? The full circle. The full circle. That's
0: Yes, gonna, that's going to be launched in earnest next year. That's going to be a series of workshops that goes around the planet. I'm trying to get as many people involved as possible. I want to get some some good speakers, people that I've I've uh, I think I think stand out in the uh, so-called truth movement or alternative media. And I want to be able to do a series of workshops that we take around and, and leave communities empowered with something they can take forward from that point. Not just come and have a speaking geek and, oh, aren't we great? You're all here to hear us talk. We come and offer you like not just a, a, a talk, but actually a workshop where you can get hands-on involved in changing your own community. That's what I want to do with the Full Circle Project. Folks, bring, us full, bring us full circle back to where we should be, Mel.
1: Absolutely. TheCrowHouse.com is, is your website. And when we come back, I know things are bad in the world. I know that. And a lot of times you hear, yes, Mel, Max, things are bad. But what can we really do about it? That's what I want to discuss when we come back. Practical applications of things that you can do starting from the ground up at a grassroots level. Because change is not going to happen from the top down. It's going to happen from you, starting with you. When we come back, this is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important interview. To listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back. Enjoy.
2: Come hold me now. I am not gone. I would not leave you here alone In this dead calm beneath the waves I can still hear those lost boys calling You could not speak You were afraid To take the risk of being left again. And so you tipped your hat and waved, and then you turned back up the gangway of that steel tomb again. And in my street in July, when I hear those seabirds cry. I hold the child, the child in the man, the child that we need. And in the silence of the grave I can still hear those last boys calling We left them there when they were young The men were gone until the west was won There's nothing left but time to kill You never took us fishing again And now you never will Paul Levy and you're listening to Veritas.